Hello, everybody. I'm Kyle, your host for the Practical Sales Podcast, an extension of Atlantic Growth Solutions. Here at AGS, we help companies who sell B2B improve their sales growth. We do this through qualified lead generation, sales process certification, and growth readiness training. Today is a special episode for us. It's a mailbag episode where Kent and I will answer a few B2B sales questions that have been sent in to us from sales professionals and sales leaders around our network. If you want to interact with us or send in any questions, please follow the Practical Sales Podcast on Twitter or Atlantic Grow Solutions on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for joining me today. Let's jump right in. Ken, thank you for joining me for our Practical Sales Podcast mailbag episode. We have a few questions that some listeners of the pod or followers of Atlantic Growth Solutions have sent in, and I wanted to get your take on them. So I've removed any of the specifics from the questions, like the industry that the person works in or the specific wording that they may be using in the interest of generalizing the information a little bit. I want to keep the suggestions and tips as practical as possible and felt this would be the easiest way to do that. So with that being said, let's jump into the first question. Our first question is, my value proposition works in emails, but feels really long-winded when talking on the phone. How do I shorten it up? Oh, that's a great question. And that uh, often comes up in our role plays. You know, you've written this amazing value proposition that um, is used in your introduction email, and uh, you go to read it as a script in your first role play. And it doesn't sound conversational. So the key is conversational. Be conversational. Most value propositions that are three to four uh, sentences long, to read them take 30, 40 seconds. It's hard to, in one breath, read a value proposition, let alone be conversational. So it's re- uh, having a conversation is really about building rapport, um, establishing the likability factor. So coming across with with good enthusiasm, good tone, take a break. Be sure to check that the person is listening. Have a wonderful segue question, right? Make sure that they're engaged. Make sure that your focus is on rapport. And ultimately, at the end of that introduction, that quick conversation that you're having, think about what your goal is. When you're writing an email, it's more formal. And you're really thinking about selling. But in a conversation, it's really about getting to the next step. So if your goal on your cold call is to just get a 15-minute meeting next week on their calendar, really they're deciding whether they like you. Are they, are they somebody they want to spend 15 minutes with? So you want to focus on that. Have good information. But they're not, you know, they only remember they remember less than 10% of what you say, but they will remember, you know, 50% of the tone and the enthusiasm in your converse, in your in your voice. So really about breaking the value proposition down into chunks, checking in that they're listening, you know, simple questions like, you know, is that going on in your organization? Are you experiencing that in your organization? Just having those kind of questions ready to go. Again, checking back, engaging them. People love to hear their name as well. So be sure to say their name a couple of times as well. These are all things that will add to likability. You won't sound like every other person making a cold call. 
what I pulled from that was when you're talking about an email, content matters because tone is hard to communicate in an email. So you can say some of those deeper thoughts that you might have or some of those more relevant pieces of information. But in the in the phone conversation, content doesn't matter as much. It's about how personable you are, how likable you are. That is that sums it up perfectly. Awesome. Awesome. And and one other thing that I like to think that salespeople should do is also testing that value proposition with somebody on their team, right? I know we're proud of the things that we write and things that we say, but you know, asking it to one person that you work with uh, daily and having their honest feedback, because the first time you say it out loud to another person, you're going to know whether it's too long or not. Absolutely. I think we, uh, you know, when we're younger and we have to do public speaking, you know, they say practice in front of a mirror. When you are in a sales profession and perhaps you're starting off in business development and your first uh, your first role is about um, you know scheduling meetings for the sales organization it's the same thing you better practice and you know right away when you read your script out loud whether it sounds good or not and that's just coming from you but read it to somebody else have them practice with you in a role play you will be surprised how many times you will revise or tweak just so it flows better. Take the time. It matters because you don't want to sound like every other scripted, robotic salesperson who is reaching out um, to try to a buyer to try to sell them something. They want to have, you know, they're, they're, they want to know that they're talking to a human being that has a personality, seems interesting and seems engaging. And there's a likability factor. Let's face it. There's so many people in our lives today, whether they are virtual or mm. personal, uh, we get to choose what we like and and uh, and what we don't like. And at the end of the day, you know, most people um, that uh, choose to work with you will make a decision around likability. They can choose your, they can buy your product from somebody else, and if those products are similar. Then what's going to be the what's going to be the difference? And when you're prospecting, the difference often is that likability factor. Absolutely. Uh, so our second question is from a leader of a sales team. She has eight total team members that work together in various roles, all with the goal of closing more sales. She asks, "What is an activity I can do with my team to help increase our effectiveness around sales and prospecting?" I um, immediately think of dealing two things, recent wins, customer success stories, and the second is objections. Now we've talked on a previous podcast about the recent win success story exercise. Absolutely. You know, getting people together, um, you know, a box of pizza and some beverages carbonated <laughs> and have people who, and, and a variety of people from marketing operations, the, the, uh, the business office, talk about some of the best customers, some of the success stories, there could be, if your company is 20 years old, there could be stories that are buried uh, from a decade ago that your current staff aren't aware of, how that relationship came to be. There might be customers that some of your staff may not be be, uh, be aware of that are great success stories. And those become your testimonials, your use cases for the marketing team um, to talk about and share with future prospects. So that's one exercise you can do, just kind of sharing success stories and uh, kind of almost like campfire, sitting around and, and talking about individual companies, customers that you have and, and how, you know, from first contact to, you know, 10 years later, you know, that relationship. 
it gives you a chance to celebrate them a little bit again too, right? To revisit the success and sort of give the team a pat on the back if they were involved in that win. If it was a little bit previous to maybe that team uh, and the people that are on it, then maybe it's a little bit harder to celebrate. But I think that's an important opportunity for a sales leader to be able to give everybody a pat on the back. If they did a good job closing that business, then... Absolutely. And, and, you know, I like the idea of the, of the celebrating it. We tend to be pretty humble and um, don't share those stories for fear of sounding like we're bragging. But I tell you, your future customers want to hear about the successes you've had with your existing client base. Mm-hmm. So don't be embarrassed. Don't be humble. You know, gather your people around, come up with the top four or five success stories and think of how you can leverage that in your marketing. The other activity is the top objections. This one's it's always scary. Fun. Yeah, it's it, scary is, one. it is scary, but we hear no every day. We hear the same objections over and over. Again, lunch and learn, get every get the sales team in for an hour, box of pizza, you know, uh, flavored water <laughs> and uh, and a whiteboard and have everybody on the team contribute. What's the, you know, what's that top objection that you're hearing in the field? in the front line today and write them down and ask everybody, how are you dealing, handling that today? And then come up with strategies, how to combat that in the future. Those success stories will become part of the strategy to combat objections. We often will try to talk about the features of our products and services in our opening dialogues, but knowing an objection's coming delay you know the benefits of your your solutions knowing that an objection is coming your response to an objection that uh, talks about a feature and a benefit or a success story that an, a previous or existing customer is having as a strategy to deal with objections is very effective so knowing objections are coming prepare for them come up with strategies as a team how you're going to combat them and what success stories are you going to share in uh, those objection handling strategies as well. So I think those are probably two great exercises to do. And uh, they can be quite um, enthusiastic and colorful and uh, a lot of fun. And we know that those are two activities that we should be doing on a pretty regular basis. It gives everybody on your team an opportunity to participate too, right? Because again, everybody's hearing objections. They all probably handle them or talk about them differently. So it's a neat way to uh, to kind of involve different members of, uh, of your business development or sales team. Absolutely. So our next question is about questions. Eric is asking, how many qualifying questions should I ask on an initial phone call before requesting a meeting? I don't think there is a specific number of questions. But going into every conversation, every meeting, you should have a minimum of five ready to go. Just to be just to be safe. But time yourself. You should be able to ask a question in 10 to 15 seconds. And hopefully it's an open-ended question. And listen to the the, uh, prospect's response. It could take 30 seconds, could take 60 seconds. Typically, a, a good conversation prospecting could last three to five minutes. So really, it's about using the time effectively, having your questions ready to go. And our purpose for prospecting, especially cold call, is really determined if there's a business fit. And a business fit is often a goal or a pain point that you uncover on that call. So the number of questions is based on how many questions does it take to get to the heart of the pain or the goal. And once you've got there, 
then you're, you, you better be listening because they're going to give you a signal that yes, there's a need. There is a goal to have that problem, that objective in their organization resolved. And you've got a sense of urgency, perhaps, because you asked a question around on a scale of one to five. I've heard you ask this, you know, rapid fire question on a scale of one to five. I love rapid fire questions. You know, how how does that impact your business today? And, you know, you know, how how would you like to see that improved in the next six months? You know, you can lead with those types of questions that basically help you determine the business fit, determine the urgency. So you're basically using their response to set up the, the next step. So I don't think there's a specific number of questions you need to ask as long as those questions are leading to the heart of the pain point or the goal or objective that your solution satisfies or solves. And once you get there, then you go for the ask. And if the ask is the milestone next step, a demo, a face-to-face meeting an on-site, then now you're asking, you know, based on what you've shared with me, prospect, the four or five questions that I've asked that led me to your mm. pain point or your goal, this is what I'd like to suggest. So I don't think there's, again, a, a specific number of questions. As long as those questions are focused on getting to the pain point, then we ask as many questions as we need, respecting the prospect's time. Again, three to five minutes on a cold call is probably enough time to get there. So have at least five questions ready to go. You might get there in two questions. Mm. You might need all five questions. I think that's an important point to distinguish is that you might have five questions that you would like to have an answer for, but you might hear something after that second question is asked that lets you know that there is a business fit opportunity there to have a further discussion and you can set up that next step right from there. There's no need to go through those next three or four questions once you hear that information. Absolutely. And be listening. Have your ears open because yeah, you are waiting for that reaction. And when you get the reaction, then you go for the ask. Awesome. Next question. What is the best time of day to call prospects? <laughs> Not when they're busy. <laughs> um, you know, th- this is a great question because if you had an opportunity you were a fly on the wall and you could be in your prospect's office and you had the ability to see their calendar, you would probably um, see a trend. Decision makers, influencers, people in your the companies that you're prospecting are probably in meetings all day, whether they're in customer meetings, staff meetings, one-on-one meetings, their calendar is likely full. And if you're calling in the middle of the day, there's a high probability that person's in a in a meeting. So we like to take the approach, don't call busy people when they're busy. So think about when are they least busy? Often first thing in the morning, 7.30 a.m. local time to 8.30 a.m. local time, and also towards the end of the day. There's not a lot of us that have meetings scheduled at five o'clock unless we're leaving for a dinner dinner meeting. So think about when they're busy and least busy and try to schedule your calling when they're least busy. If you are selling an enterprise solution across North America, it's 7.30 a.m. for four times during the day, 7.30 Atlantic time, 7.30 Eastern time, 7.30 Central Standard time. You can follow the sun and have that opportunity to call busy people first thing in the morning when they're not occupied. 
I'd also recommend most of us today schedule 30-minute meetings, 60-minute meetings. If we have agendas and we're very efficient, we often end those meetings five, 10 minutes early. So I often see and recommend that the most effective time to call is five minutes before the bottom of the hour and 10 minutes before the top of the hour. As they're transitioning, as your prospects are transitioning from one meeting to the next meeting, as they're kind of gathering themselves and going from office to office or getting ready to log into a a Zoom or a, you know, a video conference call, whatever, reaching out to them, you know, at just, just before the top of the hour, um, they'll pick up and they might think it's somebody in their organization trying to reach them. And because they're, you know, not busy, they're getting they're getting themselves organized, they, they do pick up. And the beauty of it is they'll say something like, yeah, I am busy, um, I'm both ready to go to a meeting. Well, it's perfect. You can say to them, I will be very brief. I only need a couple of minutes of your time because you have your five questions ready to go. Which you were gonna say anyway. You were Which gonna you were tell gonna them s- you were gonna be quick anyway, so they've already opened the door for you needing to be quick. Uh, you know, and you make a really good point that, Kyle, that I, I, I should just expand on, you know, showing, Greatest way you can show respect is say to somebody, "I know you're, I know you're busy," and respecting people's time and communicating that to them is part of building that likability and rapport. When you say you're only going to be a couple minutes, be a couple of minutes. And often, if it's ten to the top of the hour, eight minutes to the top of the hour, five minutes to the top of the hour, you can have a pretty productive conversation in a couple of minutes. And if the ultimate goal is just to schedule a next step then uh, you can get that commitment in that call. So mix it up, call early, call the top of the hour, call the bottom of the hour, and, um, and make sure you're, you're scheduling time every day to do that. Um, sometimes we leave prospecting and, uh, and other things become more important. No, when you call has to be as much of a, a, a priority in scheduling your day as the meetings, as the proposal writing to be able to consistently be filling your pipeline with, with new sales opportunities. Perfect. So what I hear from that is be clever, call right before they probably are heading into another meeting and don't call busy people when they're busy. Those are probably the two best takeaways for when you should call a top prospect. It's perfect. Number six, what is considered the right amount of sales activity per day? Broad question. That is very broad. It depends. If you are full-time dedicated to business development, I think it has to be a minimum of 50 activities. And that's a combination of phone calls, emails, LinkedIn connect requests. That can be easily achieved. If you have six to eight hours dedicated to doing business development, you should be able to achieve that. Just scheduling a power hour, an hour where you put yourself in a room and you have 15 target prospects you're going to call, you can make 15 dials in one hour. So that's only one hour in the day. What are you going to do with the other seven hours? You know, we can send emails out. We can send at least 10 emails per hour. We can sit down in front of LinkedIn and can, and, and connect with prospects. So it can be achieved easily. It just means that you have to have a plan each day. Sort of set your top three priorities every day. What are the top three things I need to be doing today um, to be filling my prospect pipeline with potential sales opportunities. 
And you'll see that it, you know, it consistently has to be, I have to schedule at least two hours today, a day to do outbound cold calls. You know, I need to do my, my email follow-ups. I need to be connecting with new prospects on LinkedIn. And when you break it down each day and you make those your priorities, you know, a minimum of 50 activities is what I would suggest. Excellent. Our last question. Another leader of sales team who states he is new to the role and the team. So he's new to the role and the team is asking about KPIs. What should he be tracking and how can he benchmark to determine if the team is producing well? Oh, well, first of all, that's, you know, very common. A lot of people are new. They could have been an individual contributor now in a sales leadership role, or maybe they've come from another function in the organization. But I think the most important thing they need to understand is what are their sales targets? So kind of reverse engineer, understanding how many deals I need to close per month, per quarter in a year, and then work backwards. What is our conversion rate how you know what is our success rate on converting opportunities to sales so let's say for example and i'll just work it i'll just use a number number 10 for example i need to have one deal close every month i'll use a 10 3 1 ratio i need one deal closed every month in order to get one deal closed i need to have three sales opportunities that are at least at the proposal stage to get my one deal closed because we have a 33% conversion rate. To get three sales opportunities, I need 10 qualified sales qualified leads each month to have three sales opportunities. So I think that's a very key metric is understanding what the conversion rates are between sales qualified leads, late stage sales opportunities to close and then looking at the key activity that goes into driving those results. So sales opportunities, you know, have, you know, having a checklist, having meetings, driving next steps with late stage sales opportunities, number of meetings is very important. Going to sales qualified leads, again, meetings are important, but what's the activity to get marketing qualified leads to sales qualified leads? How many calls do we need to be making? How many uh, meetings and demos do we have to be making on a daily, weekly basis to hit those numbers? So working backwards, knowing your conversion rates, and then understanding what are the key activities that move the needle on those sales qualified leads, late stage sales opportunities to close ratio. It kind of ties into the previous question too about the amount of sales activity per day. So you can you sort of work backwards or forwards. If you know it's going to take 50 phone calls to book two meetings, then you need to have four meetings this month. You better be making at least 100 phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So you can work forwards or backwards either way. And then that's how you would typically set a benchmark yeah. to determine if you guys are on the right track or not. Well, Kyle, your math is better than my math. And, and, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, 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 and working backwards and, um, and also, you know, using, using some of your top reps as the baseline and kind of understanding in, you know, what their conversion rates are mm -hmm. helps you understand where your team is from a, a ranking standpoint. Um, what is, you know, who, who's kind of leading the team and then, you know, what are they doing well and then kind of establishing a new kind of baseline to, to get to there. So you'll see some gaps. You'll have to coach up some of your team to get there. 
but uh, but starting you know with uh, with the end in mind and then reverse engineering and kind of understanding the those numbers to get to the ultimate goal in sales which is revenue closed deals Kent, that was really fun. Thank you for being our resident expert on all things sales. We covered a very wide range of topics today. Thank you again for joining me. Hey, my my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. And, and thank you to our viewers and listeners who are sending in those questions. I really appreciate it and keep them coming. Perfect. Thank you.